Welcome to the Maluli Asset Management Podcast. This is episode number 223. I am one of the co-hosts, Tom Maluli. My other co-host is here, Brendan Maluli. Hello. Ready ready for action? Uh, what we typically do is run through some of the headlines of the day, things that people are talking about on Twitter or that we're seeing in the financial news that we think are worth sharing, and we try and keep it yeah, fast moving. So, Brendan, what's caught your eye this week? So, I saw a tweet that Bob Seawright shared, and it had a link to a post that was uh, titled "The Most Googled Financial Questions by State." And I wanted to—I looked at it already, but I wanted to see if you could guess what some of these these top ones are. So, these are okay. top things people are googling about finance by state. By state, but okay. But they ranked them, like some states had the same one. So see if you can get one of the top 10, let's say. So this is going to be like family feud, you know, survey says. Yeah, exactly. All right. Mortgage rates. All right. We've got mortgage calculator. Okay. Interest rates. Okay. So close. Close on that. That was a good guess. Okay. How about what's a home equity loan? No, no home equity loan. Okay. Surveying the top 10. It may be be outside of the top 10. Okay. not, Not in there. How about, okay, how about what is an APR, annual percentage rate? <laughs> no. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run through some of the top 10. But uh, You're they saying do, I'm flubbing? They, okay, so they also have this cool little map, and I'll make sure that we link to this in the show notes, but uh, they have a map that does each state's one, and there are so many that are foreclosure, which is oh. a bummer. A lot of student loans. Okay. So different, and, and so some of some of the, the ways they phrase it are different, but like, how do student loans work is one of them. So or, I was going to bring up credit cards. Right. Credit cards are in there too. Right. Uh, payday loans, unfortunately. Oh my goodness. That's uh, awful. New Jersey's top phrase that was Googled is debt consolidation. Like Yikes. these are all not, Yikes. not great, but yeah. uh, just to show you like what people are looking for a lot. And a lot of these, I think maybe counterintuitive to people who follow the markets and are more focused on investments, but all of these are more like personal finance, like budget planner is on there. Like people want help with really like the building blocks of of finance. And I think that that is a signal to people like us who work with individuals and uh, it's easy to overlook these these simple things, but this is really the stuff that people need help with. Okay, so this is gonna sound like it's a little off topic, but my first year of college, One of the electives that I was offered to take was a course called Music and the Movies. And they actually had you sit every class, you sat there and you watched a movie. Like one of them was The Godfather. You know, one of them was The French Connection. One of them, you know, I mean, this this is the kind of thing that we send our kids to college, spend a lot of money. They learn about the music in movies. Why don't they teach them how to budget? Why don't they teach them how to pay bills on time, how to open a checking account? What's a mortgage? What's a home equity? How do you save money for retirement? How, you know, how do you handle your student loan? Why, why don't they have courses on that? Not sure. I think some of those things like you have to want to be interested in, though. And I'm, I'm not sure if you put a, a course out there that covers those. Th- like, I'm not sure that that music like, and the movies is really it sounds sexy. You know, people, yeah, like yeah. people. I'm not sure people sign up for that course. Yeah. Uh, it's, I think it's some of those things are things that you kind of just get forced to learn about and and the best way to learn about them is by doing them how how to live on like what you make like that's when you learn how to budget right how not, to live within your means not when yeah. you know i don't yeah. know i guess you do you do that to an extent at college but like the budget consists of like what pizza and like 
Pizza beer, and beer and uh, gas for the car. Exactly. I mean, yeah. So it, on a smaller scale, maybe you build up to that. But this is a course they could teach while people were online to sign up for music and the movies. <laughs> you know, now I say online, like we used to actually have to wait to sign up, get on a line to sign up for classes. Yeah. Now you just, you know, submitted. I guess it's on. It's on, well, we back when I was in college, we did it. It was online. They'd assign you a time based on like your last name or your number of credits or something along those lines. And that's when you want to change your last name to Abel or something like yeah. that. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but I, I thought that was good and just. Uh, I mean, it kind of shed some light on what people are really worried about in this country. I mean, it, it was cool well, to see like state by state what what people are looking for. Tom Maluli is an investment advisor representative with Maluli Asset Management. All opinions expressed by Tom and his podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Maluli Asset Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Clients of Maluli Asset Management may maintain positions in securities discussed in this podcast. You know, let's just stay with this for a second because one of the articles that you and I both talked about this week was uh, in the Wall Street Journal, the pension hole. Mm -hmm. for U.S. cities and states, is now the size of Japan's entire economy. What? Yeah, it's (laughs) these pensions are underfunded, which is, this was an interesting way to put it that grabs your attention. Uh, It shows you the extent of what some of these pensions are working with. I mean, we both read the post. I mean, what what are some of the solutions that are out there, and and why haven't they been uh, tried yet? They're unpopular. It's kind of like they used to talk about, hey, if you're going to discuss social security it's like the third rail mm-hmm. of politics uh it's the same thing it's raising taxes mm-hmm. it's cutting costs right. cutting services right and then also maybe in the future cutting benefits right that's those are exactly so like which which of the three or like a combination of those three are going to be okay with people None you're gonna zero. piss off if, and if you do a combination of the three you're probably just going to piss off everybody so maybe i i don't know i also read uh maybe it was in the same post or a different one about similar like the similarly the issues with pensions where they were talking about no it was this one so uh this this they were talking about one town specifically and it was like the police and fire pension and how they agreed to get like 55 percent of whatever the benefits were and it's more or less like like if you own stock or bonds from a company that's going bankrupt like you're willing to accept pennies on the dollar because you're afraid you might get nothing right but in this instance they accepted 55 percent of whatever their benefits were they were promised and now the the financial situation has improved but they already took the deal so yeah and then they're not getting like raised they're not going to raise the benefits back up no, now of like, course the their financials are going to improve because they took the deal sure that, sure that is the reason why their finances improved yeah so it's it's going to be a mess yeah. and it's funny i mean sometimes our conversations kind of go off the rails a little bit around here at the office but i suggested to the guys that they read up on the french revolution this <laughs> week because you know, if they start cutting pension benefits, that is what our world could look like. I mean, you don't want to be a fear monger, but, you know, if you've worked your entire career 
and you've basically banked on the idea that you're going to have this guaranteed income stream in retirement and now it's not there or it's severely reduced, people are going to do freaky things that are not good behavior. I, and the problem, I think, is for a lot of people in the situation where maybe they're not retired yet or approaching it, maybe they're in their 30s or 40s working a job where they're paying into a system like this despite knowing that there are issues, oftentimes they don't really have a choice. So the pension, if you're in the union at work, which also doesn't seem to be a choice very often, you're, you're paying your dues into this pension uh, over time. And in many cases, these are public servants that aren't really making a ton of money. So not only are things like taxes and whatever they have to pay for their health care coming off the top, but their pension, their dues are coming costs. off too. So yeah. look, everybody can make the uh, ability to save if, if they really want to, but these people may not be as able to save above and beyond the pension as we imagine, because the solution here is like, okay, so if the pension isn't going to be there, I know I have to do a better job saving on my own, uh, and, and if the pension is there, then great, I'm just better off. But sometimes these, sometimes these people don't make enough money to do something like that and live their life and support their families off of their income. It's tough. A somewhat related note, when the Social Security program was implemented in 1935, there was something like 14 workers for every retired person, and now it's it's almost one-to-one. -one. Right, like demographics are changing here. Yeah. So one of the things that I thought was not very cool about this was the way one person they interviewed presented it this way. Uh, these people who have been paying into pensions have been paying in you know, their side of the bargain basically forever. And the other side of the bargain is what you know these different uh, municipalities or states are supposed to be contributing to the thing too. Uh, the pension fund, and they're not. And that's, I think that's a problem because like- It's a huge problem. So one of the things they said was that like during the 90s, they said that the market growth in in conjunction with the participants' contributions was enough and that like they didn't need to send in extra money because things were going so well. And so they did things like that. Or conversely, they did, you know, something similar where they just said, like, market returns are great. So we're going to promise these like insane benefits to people. And then obviously mean reversion kicks in like we all know it does. And we experience a decade of below average returns with two market crashes. And yeah. oh, guess what? Now we can't fund the pension anymore. Like maybe we shouldn't have done that. You just described exactly what occurred in the state of New Jersey from 1992 or three through the end of that decade, we were told, hey, the market's generating enough returns. I mean, New Jersey used to be a AAA-rated state. Right. Now we're borderline junk. Yeah. Then we went through this decade where we had negative returns, flat returns, still no contributions going in. And now it's just we've kicked the can so far down the road. We've gone 25 years without putting money into retirement benefits right. for state employees. And so, and, and that's not by default, like, a lot of people will look at situations like this and like point the finger at the employees who have, they're the ones who have been paying into this. It's not yeah. as if they stopped their contributions here. They did their part. I don't know what the solution is. Like we discussed three options. None of them seem great. They're going to be unpopular, but at some point, you know, we're, we're going to come to uh, a crossroad and the decision is going to have to be made. Come to Jesus meeting. Yeah. You know, it's kind of the way it's going to go. But Similarly to uh, these these kind of issues from 
these pension funds. I saw another post from the Wall Street Journal over the last week uh, that was called, the market isn't going to save you from saving too little. And it's just like, wow, is this the same problem like individuals and institutions are having? Like... It has to be, it's, and yeah. and we've done uh, videos and and blog posts about this topic as well. Is that you can't expect that the market's going to give you double digit returns forever into the future, and that's going to basically bail you out of not saving enough money. Can you right. imagine? I mean, we have similar themes here in the office where we talk about, hey, you know, right now we're we're getting a little extra gravy. You know what I mean? In terms of things happening with the business. But we shouldn't be living on the gravy. We should be living on the mashed potatoes. You know what I mean? Like we should we should be doing things, the block and tackling stuff that gets done every day. So people should be saving money systematically. Whether it's a small amount, large amount, doesn't matter. They should be saving something for the rainy day because it's going to, it's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, and I think doing the work to figure out small amount, large amount, like the, the dollar total, I'm not sure is like the, the right way to frame it. I think you want to take a person's income and, and get to that percentage right. that is a healthy percentage. And yeah, the dollar total is going to be very different for everybody out there. And that's fine. Yeah. As long as you're saving a healthy percentage of your income, you're do- then you're doing your part uh, to make sure that you aren't under saving and then trying to hit home runs in the market. Because we all know that inevitably, like, we, we don't know when mean reversion is going to occur, but p- periods of high returns are followed by periods of low returns. We just discussed the 90s and then the 2000s. Yeah. So over the long term, you're going to have several of these cycles over your investing lifetime if you're in the market for 30, 40, 50 years like many people will be. Uh, and that's and that's fine. I think over time it averages out. But if you're not saving enough in the beginning and you're shortening the playing field to like one or two decades, the ability to earn high average returns over a lifetime, just it just gets tougher and tougher the more you close that window up. Like you might get lucky, but you might not. Right. And I don't really think that that's something you want to leave up to chance. No. So you're going to be in charge of your own future if you can... Put these basic concepts to work, like mm-hmm. paying yourself first, yeah. not spending more than you're bringing in. I think that's those two things are really uh, the the building blocks of everything. It's classic uh, Buffett, though, like simple, simple, not easy. Yeah. Right. Like it's so easy to talk about these concepts, but to actually follow through with them is is not. There are so many different things that feed into it that can stop you from doing those it's really easy to let your lifestyle get out of control it's really easy to make emotional mistakes with your investments you know i just i just realized that my escalade is double parked and i left it running (laughs) i'm burning all that gas i'm kidding so but really that's that's what we these are the kind of things that we see on a daily basis right some some poor decisions yeah along those lines and again I don't want to I, I don't want to make this sound like a soapbox but another article from the Wall Street Journal where it said young people don't want construction jobs and that's a problem of course for the housing market but it's also a problem because folks aren't learning some basic skills how to swing a hammer I think that's actually kind of important we have a couple of new homeowners here in the office and I told them hey you, you know in your first house that's where you make all the mistakes 
this is how you learn how to tear things down and put up a wall and patch things. And this is, this is your first home is where you can make all the mistakes and it's not going to cost you a fortune in terms of, Oh, I, you know, I, I should have done this or I should have done that. And now I can't sell my half a million dollar home. It's unfortunate because I think some of these folks overlook these construction jobs and they can actually lead to pretty well-paid careers. I'm, pretty certain in the last podcast or the one before this, we talked about a client that I had who was a plumber and every two years he would lose his new hire because he would go out and get his master plumber license and he'd go into competition against his his boss. I think this, this is like a societal problem though because there was one line in this article that really grabbed me and it was this idea that if your child does not go to college that you've failed them. So it's not only like the kids that don't want these jobs, it's because their parents like made them not want these jobs because they think that they have to go to college or the kid feels like a failure and the parent thinks that they failed their kids or that their kid is a failure when realistically none of that is true. And like you said, you can have a great career, be a business owner, make a ton of money doing jobs that don't require uh, college. And it's getting talked about more and more now, but it's going to be this this shift of mindset that has to happen because, again, it's one of these things that's like super easy to talk about. Like, oh, yeah, these like, you know, those the people out there, they should they should just go to trade school and learn how to do these crafts. But like, who who is that? Right. It wasn't me. Right. It wasn't, you know. It wasn't me either. Right? So, like, yeah. we can sit here on a podcast and talk about it, but until people truly believe it, that it's a viable career path, I don't, maybe these shortages continue. I don't think they should, but it's tough. Uh, so, a good post from uh, Christine Benz at Morningstar, and she talked about what, uh, what you should do with your home equity in retirement. I thought this was interesting and often overlooked part of somebody's uh, assets, I think, is, you know, the value of their home. Not to branch too far away from the subject, but I think the order in which you start your decumulation phase is something that people don't really give a lot of thought to. Uh, We just met with a client yesterday and we kind of had to reprogram this person in terms of thinking like, hey, maybe... Living off, uh, you know, Social Security first isn't going to be the the right answer. Here's another potential outcome to to think about. The gist of the article, if I'm understanding it, was that a lot of people will spend down their liquid assets, and now they they've reached older age, if you want to call it that, and they're cash poor house rich. No, that's that's absolutely it. And some really good stats from the article just to speak to that point. 66% of people aged 65 to 69, 66% of their net worth is in their house. Mm-hmm. And and this number climbs as as people get older. So for people between ages 70 and 74, 70% of their net worth is in their house and for people over age 75, it's 76%. Uh, so it kind of speaks to your point of the idea that people are more willing to draw down things like investment accounts, draw on things like Social Security before they consider the house. And I understand it from the perspective that the house is primarily a place where you live. But some of the things that Christine posed in this article that I thought were, you know, again, worth worth considering uh, as part of your decumulation strategy in retirement would be to sell the house, 
downsize or rent. So, you know, move into a smaller place, net the difference, and you can use some of that money to live on in addition to your already liquid savings. You could rent at a lower cost and, again, take the money that you get from the sale of your house and uh, live off of that in conjunction with retirement savings that you have. A reverse mortgage for some people might be worth exploring uh, if they want to stay in their home, not downsize, but would like to use some of the equity that's in there. Or, you know, what a lot of people do, the third the third option she, she talked about was that you stay in the home and you use that as basically like estate planning tool. So it's the, the home is the asset that's going to go to the heirs and you're going to live off of the IRAs and investment accounts and whatever else right. you have. You're going to drain all of those, but leave the house to your kids or whoever. Right. So a lot of, a lot of things to think about. Mm-hmm. It's not as cut and dried as you may think. So mm-hmm. we encourage our listeners when they've got questions about topics like this that they really need to sit down with a financial planner and ask. Sure. One of the articles that we found that didn't really make the cut this week was in CBS Market Watch. It said, don't be afraid to ask dumb questions about money. No, no dumb questions. There, there I, are I hate that because it's cliche to respond how I just responded, but I think that it's true. And if it's something that you don't understand, that you want to know, just ask. I mean, <laughs> yeah. They interviewed this uh, financial planner out in Colorado Springs, and she said, one of the most common things I hear from clients is, I feel like I should understand this better, and I'm embarrassed to show you this. We hear this all the time. There's no such thing as a dumb question. Reach out to a planner or reach out to us. We'd be happy to talk to you about whatever kind of questions you have. Uh, thanks very much for listening to episode uh, podcast episode 223, and uh, we will catch up with you again on the next episode. 